0: Everything's in the mind. Why suffer from moral convictions, social restrictions? Let's thumb our noses at cold wars and atomic predictions. They're only a waste of time. Let's make a romantic decision, follow a vision. Now is the moment to see clearly and realize that really we are on the brink of it, come to think of it. I could have a bright, downright, watertight, dynamite love affair Oh, we could either play it up, beat, downbeat, on the beat, off the beat, fair or square
1: Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, March 22nd 2020. My name is James Marino, and on the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbertViews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at fallspotphoto dot com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So, what a week we've had. Have you yeah, been guys? Yeah. Have you guys been uh, practicing self isoli- isolation? Isolation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we don't even want to say the word, but we have to do it, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm uh, spending time getting things arranged in my apartment. Anybody who's been here knows what a job that is. Uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff here. So,
1: Peter, uh you working on uh, any uh, special writings or uh, anything else going on?
2: Yeah. Um, I've entered a lot of, uh, 10 minute play contests. Um, I think that's a lot of fun and, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't take all that much effort, meaning a supreme effort, but not as much of course, when you go, uh, to much, uh, greater lengths, um, in uh, a play that's 90 minutes or even as they used to be two acts. <laughs> um, I certainly wouldn't, uh, think about doing a three act play, but anyway. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah, I'll make the most of what it is, you know, I, that's the best we can do uh, uh, is just do the best we can and um, turn to other ways of spending our time and doing it productively. There's enough time if we use it, I think, um, and uh, uh, we have to make the best of a bad situation.
1: How about you, Michael? Uh, you just moved into a new apartment. Oh, so that's right. Yeah. <laughs> how is, uh, Have you been spending time uh, getting yourself reorganized?
3: Well, it certainly did uh, <laughs> give me time to finish, uh, you know, re-alphabetizing CDs and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've also been working a little bit on, um, and hope to be working more on castalbumreviews.com in terms of uh, new reviews uh, of, of new recordings and also things that had fallen through the cracks that we hadn't gotten to. I, uh, I just wrote a review of the revival of the, the cast album of the most recent revival of Finian's Rainbow, Oh, which is something okay. that we hadn't. And, and that was, that I think is a quite, quite a good recording. So that was it a is. pleasure to write yeah.
2: that review. It is uh, very nice for late at night because it's a quieter
1: recording than many Finian's rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when we last spoke about seven days ago, uh, Broadway had just announced that they had suspended, suspended performances through April 12th. Um, And this week, the CDC has recommended that all gatherings, of 50 or more people, uh, uh, be suspended for eight weeks. Now, I I do not believe that the Broadway League has officially responded to that. No, not officially. Yeah, I think that the date uh, in the Broadway League's mind is still April 12th. I haven't seen anything otherwise. But... um, but certainly, uh, the, the uh, governor Cuomo has just uh, passed an, uh, an executive order that said that uh, everything is every, everything in New York except for non-essential um, non-essential services uh, like you know police, fire, hospital, Essential things services. like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, everybody except for non-essential services oh, uh, right. will be uh, asked to stay in. Um, so I, I'm not sure how long that Cuomo order goes or what, so we, the long and the short of it is, is that there's so much flying around social media, but I don't think we've had any official word about Broadway not coming back after April 12th yet, although that does seem like a, a distinct possibility. Well, it's funny,
2: here we are at, uh, Sondheim's birthday and there's always a Sondheim lyric for whatever situation you're <laughs> yeah. in, and this is with so little to be sure of, um, yeah, You know, I I find it interesting as I'm walking around town. A thought occurred to me, which brings up another person's birthday. That um, there were masks all around town, but not at the Majestic (laughs) Theatre. Phantom has been playing. um, That's Andrew Lloyd Webber's show, and of course, it's his birthday too. There is an 18-year difference, but um, I, I, yes, indeed, um, two greats um, on the same day.
1: if I were a lyricist looking for a composer, i tried try to find one who was born on March 22nd. Well, March is uh, quite the month, isn't it, Michael? Yes, I feel so awful
3: because I had mentioned recently that uh, I, ha- I had mentioned about Sondheim and Lloyd Webber having the same birthday. And then I also mentioned that Stephen Schwartz is a March birthday, but I completely forgot about John Kander. Born March 18th, 1927. And he, uh, you know, I actually I think that's kind of in line with the fact that I, I, I've i never thought of um, Candor as, as being quite so high profile in the same way as some other people. I don't know if it's just that he's not as self-promotional or if the, you know, the mechanism that's built up around him is just not the PR mechanism is not. Uh, the same, not an equivalent to uh, a Lloyd Webber or a Sondheim. Uh, But he certainly in terms of greatness, you know, he's right up there with, uh, with those people. And uh, if, and and then he's another one of those, if only people, (laughs) if only he had written cabaret Mm -hmm. or if only, and, or if he had only written Chicago, his place, in history you know he and Fred Ebb's place would be assured but of course there's so much more that's so wonderful and um he yeah he's just you know as great as they come and also uh, as people have pointed out he um on top of all that has been I would say uh more active than than pretty much most of those other people in recent years even at his advanced age that's with right. uh, with several uh shows on but then mostly off Broadway that several completely new scores he 's just uh, he 's not one of those um, people who who dry up uh, as when they get to an advanced age, which is very common for you know for many people so that's not an unusual Well
2: situation. especially because his lifelong collaborator the longest collaboration in Broadway mm-hmm. history died and a lot of guys would say that's it I'm not doing anymore um exactly. and it would be very understandable why he would say that and um not that I'm counting pennies but it wouldn't seem that he would need the money not with that uh, nice candy store at the Ambassador Theater so <laughs> under those circumstances uh it really did show he really wanted to work by taking on a brand new collaboration to learning his habits, his quirks, etc. you know that that's a very hard thing to do, and yet he wanted to do it. so it was really pretty impressive to see that happen. Uh, so really, um, yes, John Kander is one of the greats, and not only that, it's amazing to me that every now and then I will be reading something that is not necessarily inside baseball, show busy mm. Broadway related, and yet the words candor and Eb are used. Hmm. expecting people to know who candor and Ebb are. And I think that's really quite wonderful.
1: Yes. Well, a lot of Yankee fans know who candor and Ebb are. Yes, even indeed. If, even if they don't realize it. That's you know? right. Yes, that's indeed. right.
2: That's that's yet
3: another that alone. <laughs> you know, New York, New York at all those ga- in New York, New York, just is a standalone song.
2: Sure. Yeah, sure. And when you think of how many songs have been written about New York, Right, I mean, I, right. Um, an an astonishing number. Needless to say, uh, which one stands out more than
1: any other? Hmm. So uh, we had uh, a little bit of news that we should uh, at least uh, mention here that uh, that uh, the production of Hangman that was supposed to open on Broadway is in fact not going to open. They've canceled that, and that the uh, they've decided to also close Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, which uh, I did it reach opening night or I don't recall. It was just just in previews.
2: No, it it played nine previews
1: and that was the end of it. So um, I'm sure that we'll have other information that is similar and related to these things as, as the season unfolds more, we understand what's going to happen here. But as, as Peter mentioned, uh, we, we were actually planning on talking about uh, Mr. Sondheim turning 90 and, um, and, and that seemed like uh, a, a really wonderful thing to do. But we've, we've had a great conversation with Grover Dale and we're going to uh, play that here. But before we get into that conversation, I guess there's a, a few things to do. Uh, first thing is, is, Peter, maybe we should do last week's uh, trivia question. Sure. Uh, The question was, you wouldn't expect that the
2: musicals, The Cradle Will Rock and Lolita, My Love, would have something in common, but indeed they do. And I don't mean that they both had trouble opening. What is it? Well, both have characters whose first name is the same as the last name. Lolita has Humbert Humbert (laughs) and Cradle Will Rock has Mr. Mister, which by the way, later became the name of a rock group. Now, faithful listeners will recall that Tony Janicky came in third last week because, <laughs> as he later explained, when he got home that Sunday night, he was too tired to call up the podcast. Well, you know what they say, Tony, you snooze, you lose. <laughs> so it was nice to see you wide awake again and being the first to answer, followed by Jack Leshner, who also gets credit for noting that Jack Albertson was in the 1947 revival of The Cradle Will Rock. And Denise Nickerson was Lolita in Lolita, My Love, and both showed up in the Willy Wonka movie.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> hmm. All right. So why don't you uh, ask this this week's question?
2: Okay. Well, since it's Sondheim's birthday, let's have a Sondheim question. One of Stephen Sondheim's most famous lyrics in a show for which he only wrote lyrics contains two lines that became the title of a 1970s Supper Club review that has received both American and British cast albums. Its title song was recorded by one of our most famous recording artists. What are the two lines and the shows?
1: Hmm. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. I, I was thinking about another Sondheim lyric as I was looking through the news, uh, especially uh, articles and postings on social media about social distancing and mm-hmm. a, and all these uh, all these spring breakers down on the Miami beaches. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, I'm sorry, Mr. Sondheim, but children will not listen. <laughs> Ain't <laughs> it the truth? Well, that <laughs> is it. something
3: well and on that note you know many people have noted um just the general kind of s- similarity of this horrendous situation to act 2 of into the woods hmm. yeah. you know just <laughs> just kind of in general with this with this sure. horrible situation um and
1: yeah I I see the the Trump press conferences, and all I can see is Mr. Trump saying, but it is my fault I was given those beans. Hmm, You persuaded me to trade away (laughs) for the cow for (laughs) beans. No responsibility taken there. No. So there were so many wonderful uh, things in the media this week that were not about the COVID-19 virus, uh, and most of them that caught my eye were about Mr. Sondheim. I, I, I sent along an article from the Guardian newspaper uh, uh, that um, so many folks, uh, stars around the world, are giving tribute to Sondheim's 90th birthday. Uh, wonderful article in the Guardian. I'm going to put that in the show notes for folks to uh, check that out so that you can read something else that's non-virus related and might bring you some happiness. And while uh, those of your eyes... Uh, something for your ears. Uh, fresh air. Terry Gross, uh, who is just an amazing interviewer, ha- interviewed Stephen Sondheim 10 years ago for his 80th birthday. And they replayed the, um, the interview on NPR. And there's a link to download and listen to it uh, as well. And what incredible insights, uh, if, you know, you can spend 45 minutes or so with Terry Gross and Mr. Sondheim, just really, really wonderful. So I encourage you, and I'll put that in the show notes as well, so everybody can listen to it. There's so much really wonderful stuff going on. Hmm.
2: The last time I saw Sondheim, he was getting in the elevator at the PAP Theater, um, the public theater. And... uh, (laughs) uh, he was going up to the third floor where there was a production of the Caucasian Chalk Circle. And, um, I almost yelled out, but I thought you hated Brecht. Uh, he's, <laughs> he, he said that more than once. And I thought, shut up, don't say anything, you know, but there's still a part of me that wish I had just to see what his response would have been. Um, so, uh, but, uh, he, he and there's a lost musical. He was working on, uh, a musical, um, that, was fancifully called a prey by black yes um that that never happened and um throughout the years john Guer was involved and uh, betty comden adolph green were involved and uh, uh, leonard bernstein were involved, all sorts of people who were involved with this project one time or another and uh it's one of those things that zero mustel was going to star So, what a show that might have been. Uh, It certainly would indicate that uh, it had great potential. But um, the ones that fall through the cracks are always the most painful ones of all because um, they might have been spectacular. They might have been spectacular flops, but they might have been spectacular, and we can only wonder uh, what happened.
3: And speaking of falling through the cracks in a different way, I I suppose it's likely that maybe New York uh, won't ever get to see this new version of Company, uh, Mm. which certainly I, uh, you know, just from hearing what the concept was and things about that, I had my doubts about it, but I'm sure that we all would have loved to have seen it. Uh, I I know there is a recording of the London cast, uh, Mm -hmm. a a cast album. I don't believe Mm -hmm. there's a video of that, is there?
1: Not that I know uh, of. Not that I know of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not a legal one. No, right. Right. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there are uh, so many ways to catch up with, uh, uh, you know, something to fill your time that is, it seems, some Broadway-related shows and um, everything streaming. Michael provided uh, a, a number of links that I will put in the show notes, as well to um, various different things um, that you can uh, watch things that are filmed on stage. And, uh, helpfully, there is a website called filmedonstage.com. And they have 76 free musicals and plays that you can now watch streaming during the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, And so I'll throw that into the show notes as well so you can you can check those things out um, and, you know, hopefully spend some time boning up on other things that have happened.
2: Well, for that matter, it might be a good time, and it might not uh, depending on your outlook to watch the skin of our teeth, um, which uh, Thornton Wilder's play, which indicates that, Boy, man gets buffeted by so many terrible things. and But always the human race comes through by the skin of its teeth, meaning just barely, but it happens. And um, we have to remember now that... Um, We hope that history repeats itself in that way, that we do get by by the skin of our teeth and um, come to flourish again. I mean, after all, in 1918, there was that terrible, terrible smallpox thing that killed millions upon millions upon millions of people. And yet nobody really remembers it. Uh, Nobody really remembered it until recently um, where it became certainly newsworthy. And look, Um, we got through, they got through, and uh, so that's what we have to hope for that we will get by by the skin of our teeth,
1: yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's get on to our discussion with Groverdale. Some
0: little hideout on some tropical isle, naked and warm from dawn till moonrise, Somerset mom wise, Blue Lagoon wise. We could lie upon the beach at night, dear, while we see that Russian satellite deal whizzing through the air as we carried on with our onbeat.
1: With us today, we have a very special guest. Grover Dale is joining us by telephone. Broadway fans will know Grover Dale... He was in the his stage debut was in Little Abner as a dancer. Mm-hmm. He was in the original cast of West Side Snor- uh, West Side Story as Snowboy. <laughs> <It's> more, <yeah. laughs> I almost said West Side Snowboy. You know, <laughs> I think that's what the name of the show should have been, right?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: they were considering tra- Gangway. I mean, you know, all
2: right,
0: well, yeah.
1: His other stage credits incl- included the uh, role of Andrew in Green Willow. Uh, he understudied Anthony Perkins as Gideon. Uh, Noel Coward's Sail Away and Half a Sixpence. Uh, Grover, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. This is a very special day, Sunday March 22nd, which is the 90th, 90th birthday for Stephen Sondheim and we were talking That's about right. That's right. talking about Mr. Sondheim uh, and his incredible contributions to the theater and I thought maybe you might have uh, a story or two to share with us. Um <laughs> So tell us, you know, what what was it like to be in the original cast of West Side Story?
4: (laughs) Well, it was it was like getting the world's best education in musical theater that ever happened. And instead of paying tuition for it, we were paid a weekly salary. Uh Uh, You know, it, it was it was phenomenal to walk in that door, the first day and for Jerome Robbins to say, look, I got to take a chance today. This is my only opportunity to show Stephen Sondheim, Leonard Bernstein, and Arthur Lawrence that I can start this show without a song. And he proceeded he proceeded in the next three hours to with a finger snapping and uh making sure that we understood that what he wanted from us was to show that we owned every inch of that neighborhood and that nobody could come in and intrude on it and four hours later we we were put to the test those collaborators came in the door they lined up against the window and we showed them the first 26 seconds of the prologue which without without songs without lyrics we we did it was called the inciting incident we established the the need the essential ingredients for the tragedy that was going to unfold in front of everybody. And that happened at the moment that Riff turns and Bernardo steps out of the wings and he's, he's in front of us. And Riff signals him to beat it. And Bernardo wouldn't move. He stayed right where he was. Hmm. And that, that was the beginning of the gang warfare. That started the show.
2: All right, now this is interesting because um, when you come right down to it, as you say, you're not having a conventional opening number. By any chance, do you know what Stephen Sondheim felt about that? Was he uh, saying, oh, wow, I had an idea for an opening number or anything like that?
4: Well, the song, was, the song that was on the piano was called Rocket to the Moon, and mm-hmm. that uh-huh. song got ditched. And uh, those collaborators, they got it they They stood up, and they congratulated Jerry because there was there was no way Jerry could convince them until he had dancers on the floor uh-huh. doing it, and uh-huh. they went out the door, and Unfortunately, the sad part is that Jerry wouldn't allow them back in until they were he invited them in, which was a mistake uh, if they had watched the way the whole sequence was developed, they would have trusted him even more. But the conflicts that started to percolate, not just during the original production, but over the years, and the, 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 the scrabbles that Arthur Lawrence established and after Robinson died, and removing pieces of Jerry's details that he had done, It was, it was tragic that those things were removed, they've been reinstored, but I, you know, I'm just flabbergasted about the conflicts that happened uh, over the years and, you know, and they all contributed to it. You know, I can't blame, I can't, I wouldn't assign blame to anybody uh but Jerry was not easy to deal with uh i <laughs> i, I kind of know because i worked with him for 35 years after that uh so yeah anyway. uh, now the
2: question becomes um here's sondheim the new kid on the block uh was yeah. he very much involved did he shrink into the background did he take command uh how was his demeanor no, we, during we, this time
4: we, we didn't see Activities from them, they would come in and watch and uh, they held their decision making moments in private so mm-hmm. the, the the cast wasn't exposed to it uh, so uh, but we just we, we we were the tools that were used in order to show what the show should be.
3: I have a I have a specific question, Grover. I never asked you this. I just wanted to to uh, clarify. Are you one of the solo voices in G. Officer Krupke on the cast album?
4: <laughs>
3: well, I, I I played
4: Officer Krupke. I'm the guy who, hey, you, yeah, you. Oh, okay. I, I yeah. was that character, and I I was the guy that would hit them over the head with the. Uh, with the stick, you know, right. so uh, I, well, I didn't sing any of those, those, uh, it started out with Eddie Roll. Eddie Roll was started it out and David Winters and Tony Mordenzi they each had, uh, uh, a piece of the, of, of the song to sing.
3: But so is that you saying the the few lines that Krupke has? Yes. Yes. Great, because well, I, I, I just wasn't sure about that, and I didn't want it to be lost to history. Yeah,
4: I was, I was the guy who could play the dumb, the dumb cop.
3: <laughs> you know, I uh, had a friend give me a bunch of old LPs recently, uh, cast albums, and one of them was um, the London cast of Sail Away with a ver- very odd cover on it. But anyway, I, I was just looking at it now, and I hadn't quite realized that you're on it because I know you had done the Broadway one, and then I was right. sure if I did
4: one also yeah yeah i I did the London one too, yeah,
1: so um mr Sondheim, uh nPR played an interview with Mr. Sondheim for about from ten years ago on his eightieth birthday, uh and he talked about how much uh he learned. In the West Side Story rehearsal process, from oh, interesting, and and everybody yeah. else, and he, uh, it was it was quite quite the interview. And so, getting back to what Peter said before, was what was Sondheim a, a presence in the room with so many other loom, large it, large figures, or what was it, it like? You know, it, it,
4: he was kind of shy, you know, uh-oh. in a way. He, <clears throat> he was like. Hal Prince, and th- they were young, <laughs> and they kind of they kind of like just went al- along you know yeah. uh, deferential i, I, did, I didn 't really get to know Sondheim until uh, Green Willow Day, until I was living with Tony Perkins, and we would go to sondheim 's house for those uh, treasure hunts. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I, I, you, you remember those you know and, uh, Sondheim would rent limos and he would put us in teams and we had lists of things to go out and get and the first limo that came back with all the all the, the objects that they were the winners uh, he was a game <laughs> player he, he just <laughs> loved
2: he loved games uh, alright so fact, how did you create- do did you, were you did on I, teams? yeah, did you win did you uh did you just uh miss out on winning uh were you, oh, I, did you I, out something
4: I wish I could remember
2: uh-huh. <laughs> but you
4: we're <laughs> talking we're talking forty years ago uh,
2: even more uh, but
4: th- those yes, yeah, those gatherings at uh Sondheim's house were quite amazing, and um and Sondheim started writing with Tony too, they wrote a couple. of projects together, uh, I can't remember them, a couple of movies or something.
2: Oh yeah, The Last uh, so, of Sheila.
4: Yes, yes, that's mm-hmm. it, uh, yeah, yeah. But because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one insight, there was a moment that happened at the memorial for Jerome Robbins, And I remember going, and I went with my wife and my son, and after I had spoken, I went to the back of the theater and I saw Sondheim and Arthur Lawrence coming down the stairs and they refused to say, speak at the, at the memorial. And I, I remember not understanding how could they not speak? I'm sure they had their reasons, uh, but at such a Historic moment, you know. Here's here's the man that gave them so much of a, of a so big a chunk of a piece of a classic American musical.
3: I don't know. What do you think? I imagine they felt that they couldn't uh, that while there were certainly very very positive things they could say that they couldn't leave out the negative. I'm I'm just guessing.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah,
4: hmm. I mm-hmm. yeah, I hear that. Yeah. It's true. It's probably true.
1: So let's uh change gears for just a few minutes and uh talk about more recent uh subjects. Um, we were told that you were on a cruise ship from Sydney through Southeast Asia. <laughs> Uh, right. And yeah. uh, a couple of weeks back, and right now, I, I should say, I, I think you, you're in New York and home and safe. Everything. I am. Is that true? I just
4: okay. I just, I just got you back here 36 hours ago, and wow, uh, it, it was an unbelievable ordeal. To ha- we we went through, uh, you know, and, and everybody on the ship was no one was sick, but the ports. They were so fearful uh, about the uh, the image of cruise ships coming in, and with sure. all the stuff in the in the media about the Princess cruise, uh, they turned us away from four different ports, and we were re- totally stranded. And when we finally got to Manila, they allowed us in, and we were taken off the ship and scheduled. We had three flights to get home and 35-hour span, no sleep, and here I am. But wow. I'm, I was it was an amazing experience because on the plane, I read the New York Times, and I read an article by a writer named Kevin Roos about about what's happening with this to our industry, about what's happening to dancers, singers, and actors, and at this particular time. And I, I'm inspired to do something about it. And it, can, can I just take a, a second and read you? I've distilled it into three paragraphs. Can sure. I read it to you? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Singers, dancers, actors, are you ready for this? There's no use sugarcoating a virus that has already delivered devastating consequences around the world and may get worse in the days ahead. Inevitably, more Broadway film and TV productions will be canceled or postponed, boosting the unemployment numbers. Is there anything we can do about it? Yes, there is. If there's a silver lining in this crisis, the virus itself may force us to use the internet in ways it was meant to be used, to connect with one another, share resources, and solve problems. We can play a role in the recovery instead of waiting or hoping for someone else to do it. Already, social media is supplying more reliable information than might have been expected from a pandemic. And while these substitutions for in-person interactions aren't perfect, we are seeing an explosion of creativity in the use of technology to bridge the isolation we're experiencing. Groups are experimenting with new kinds of gathering, virtual get-togethers between pros, advocates, creative thinkers, and wannabes. These are exactly the kind of digital events we need, and they are coming at a time when they're needed more than ever. And as long as it remains unwise to gather in physical spaces, we can create virtual spaces that will sustain us.
1: Hmm. You. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have seen such extraordinarily uh, uh, large um, undertakings by the Broadway community to uh, support each other and support the the world. I mean, you have uh, Broadway. dot com's Rosie O'Donnell show tonight on Sunday evening, the twenty second at seven p. m. Eastern time. I, I don't. I- I'd imagine that they're going to a- allow people to watch it after the fact as well, but it's a live stream with, uh, with 20, 30-some-odd Broadway stars that are going to be participating in it and uh, supporting yeah, it. The, the the Broadway League and Actors' Equity and the other unions around it have come to an agreement to provide um, some sort of payments and support for everybody involved in uh, affected shows right now who expected to have uh, wow. paychecks that are not wow. having that right now. So it's... Uh, it's it's really amazing what uh, people are able to do, uh, uh, I, yep. uh, even to even to a very uh, small community theater level thing. My 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 daughter's in in sixth grade, and she was about to do oh. Charlie in the Cho- Chocolate Factory. She was doing Charlie in the Chocolate oh. Factory. and They, they cast Did her as Charlie. Uh-huh. No, <laughs> she got all my genes. She's not a dancer. So <laughs> oh. <Okay>. so. Uh, <laughs> My mom was a Rockette, but I got none of those genes. Wow, so, um,
4: wow. Well, that's my, my, my first love is dancers. And I, I was fortunate. I got to launch a website called com. So I am inspired. To, I'm inspired to go back. And I, I've been doing that for the past 25 years. Uh, and that, I just love helping Young kids, educating them about the biz. And my son, I get most of my information from my son, Badge, who was an established actor. I was just on the phone with him this morning talking about the experience of walking on the street and seeing people's reactions and the fear in their eyes and the anxiety. And I reminded, I said, Badge, look, that's something that we, we, it's part of our uh, Our our makeup as artists that we tune in to what other people are expressing through their behavior and their eyes and it's an absolutely wonderful gift that we have and we we, we can do something with that Uh, so I'm I'm on a whole new curve of wanting to make this better
1: so you uh, you know, I I got through just half of your credits, uh, mm-hmm. and then we uh, took a tangent and went to it another direction. You also choreographed and directed many many Broadway shows, uh, and what was that transition f- for you as a performer going into uh, directing and choreographing?
4: Well, you know, like a good good question. Uh, I I. I had to do it. My agent kept telling me, "Stick with one thing, rope. and I couldn't just stick with one thing. I had to keep testing myself. I had to keep trying things out. And you know, it I, in one year, 1973, I think it was. I I worked on doctoring four musicals in one year, and but it it and they were all disasters. But it saved my butt, and it showed me how to avoid conflicts with with the, your colleagues and how to co- how to collaborate in a way that's healthy and you don't do anything in front of a cast that gets them nervous and out of that experience i the first show I directed was the magic show. And we, we had $200,000 was the budget. My physical budget for costume, scenery and lighting was $50,000. And it forced, it forced me to be as creative as I could. And that show paid off and, and it ran for five years. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, it was like the best payoff I could get for what I was trying to do, and uh, trying to avoid th- those conflicts with collaborators, you know, work together, solve the problems together. Go in the back, if you have, see something wrong, go in the back office and talk
2: about it. Don't talk about it in front of the cast. Uh, All right. Now, this was quite a surprise hit. Um, (laughs) And uh, it wound up being at the time, as astonishing as this may sound, the ninth longest running book musical in Broadway history. So uh, while you were working on. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, It seems impossible to think of that now with so many shows running so many years. But at that point, 1900 plus performances was a long, long run. And you can certainly be very proud of it. But um, given the fact that you were uh, so uh, constrained by budget and what have you, and there wasn't um, a real star that the people knew, even though Doug Henning would become a star, my point is you were very much under the radar. When was it in the creation of the show? Did you actually say, you know, I think this one is going to be a hit. I think this one is going (laughs) to run. Was it indeed well, early in the process? Were you one telling everybody, don't worry, we're going to be all right? Or uh, was it not until um, a couple of months into the run that you realized you were selling tickets?
4: Look, you just made me flashback to opening night. I was uh-huh. sitting in the audience next to Bob Randall, the writer, and the the previews, the nine previews, audiences reacted greatly. And on opening night, it was mostly the Schubert crowd came for the opening and nobody reacted to anything. And I, I remember sweating. I could feel the beads of sweat running <laughs> down my armpits. I was convinced that we were going to close immediately. And it somehow, Within a couple of weeks, uh, that, uh, people gravitated to that show. Audiences really liked it. It was, it was a family show. It, it satisfied people. It was only 80 minutes long, and it was in one act. Uh, <laughs> so it, 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 it changed. It was different. It, there wasn't any show around like it. That, that the two producers, Edgar Lansbury and Joe Baruch, had the nerve to to produce that show and mm-hmm. allow me to do what I did.
3: So one thing I, I I'm sorry. One thing I didn't know uh, until very recently, until you mentioned it, you happened to mention it on Facebook, Grover, was that you were originally signed to do the choreography for Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes. Yes and then yeah. there was a, apparently a last minute change in personnel which i didn't hadn't remembered all that it was a really long time ago
4: <laughs> well yeah that 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 was a nightmare the director w- was in a car accident and he had he couldn't do the show so they brought in tom o'horgan who yeah. i actually knew from doing an off broadway musical called Fallout with marty Charnon. tom o'horgan the, the, uh, Robert Stigler with the producers says, look, I'm gonna set up a meeting between you and Tom O'Horgan. And I said, fine, just let me, just give me a call and I'll be there. He calls me back two hours later and says, Grover, I'm sorry, I can't convince Tom O'Horgan to meet with you. I said, just all I wanna do, let me give him my ideas. if he doesn't wanna use them, fine, let him get somebody else. He said, well, Tom O'Horgan wants to do his own choreography. <laughs> Tom O'Horgan wasn't a choreographer. You know, it, it was astonishing. Uh, uh, anyway, um, you, <laughs>
2: thanks for bringing it up.
3: <laughs> well, I No, I just. Uh, I thank you for mentioning it because I had never, ever heard that.
2: Uh, I know this may be telling tales out of school, but nevertheless, I'm intrigued by your statement that you doctored four shows during a certain period of time. Um, yeah. Would you be able to tell us what they were? Seesaw. Uh huh.
4: With with Michael Bennett, and mm-hmm. then there was Ma. Mo- then there was Molly. Uh huh. Right. I remember mean, Molly. And then there, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh huh. Oh. Yeah, and then uh, then the then the magic show happened.
2: Uh huh. All right. And. The, the, um, the,
4: go ahead when the magic the magic show happened it was i was i was sitting in my kitchen and you remember anita morris sure and yes maybe uh, and
2: oh we yeah. were both oh, in yeah. the
4: kitchen and Edgar Lansbury's on the phone to me saying, Would you go up to Toronto and look at a magician and his 12 illusions and tell us if you think a, a Broadway musical can be made out of that? And I said, you, you want me to go look at a magician with 12 illusions? And I look up and Anita took off my last residual check. For seventy-eight dollars off of the kitchen bulletin board, and she's dancing around the kitchen with a seventy-eight-dollar check. So I got her message. She wanted me to go up to Toronto to look at that <laughs> musician. Thank God she did that dance. You know, because uh, I went up there and I I saw this kid on a stage. They had him dressed like a rock star. <laughs> and high platform shoes and a tuxedo and a top hat. He was so uncomfortable and he he could barely speak, but his illusions were spectacular. And then when I met him backstage, he was so sweet and charming and he was dressed in a t-shirt and Levi's. And the next day when I saw Steve, um, Stephen Schwartz and Edgar Lansbury and Joe Barreau, I said, this is the this we should make this kid look the way he really is and dress him in a t-shirt and and levi's and they really responded to that they (laughs) they got behind that idea and that was the beginning
2: all right, but Steven Schwartz has said to me, you know, this was not a case of writing for a star. This was a case of writing around a star because, of course, he was not going to sing or dance or do things that we associate with musicals. Um, while you were watching him do his tricks, that type of um, <laughs> thought must have occurred to you somewhere along the line. My God, um, he's a great magician, but uh, what about singing and dancing? How are we going to handle that? That must have occurred you know- to you, right? Mm-hmm
4: uh i uh, absolutely but the, but there was something meeting him in person. he was so charming, and we built the whole show based on an older magician taking advantage of this sweet young boy uh-huh. and that it it worked and um uh, thank god you know and <laughs> Doug Henning was, he was, a, he was inspired by surrounding him with real prose. Somehow he got better and better and better. And I think if he had enough time, he could have developed singing chops as well. But we didn't go there. Uh, uh, but, you, you know, by nature, he was an artist. He was ready to take the next step. He was, he, there was a fearlessness about him and a willingness to step out on the skinny branches. And we were too. And we all did that together.
1: So I want to switch gears into um, something that was less than a commercial success. Um, the first Broadway producer who took me under his wing, who uh, helped me learn a lot about the business, was Michael Frazier. And Michael Frazier talked lovingly about the production of Mail that was uh, very short-lived oh, in 1988. So, right, uh, right. so, uh, uh, So Mail had a cast of Michael Rupert and uh, Antonia Ellis, Mara Robert Mand- uh, Manden, a young Brian yeah. Mitchell, Sans right. Stokes. Uh, <laughs> Sam Stokes. <laughs> Sam Stokes, before he was Stokes. Mary right. Bond Davis, Louise Hickey, yeah. <laughs> yes, Robert yes. Lufton, Alan uh, oh, Mirkoa, Michelle Pauk, Rick Stockwell. Um, so tell us about Mail because we, we have so many stories about the West Side Stories and the magic shows and things like this, but these smaller productions that ran a month, uh, we, we never really hear about. So what do you remember about Mail?
4: Well, I, I, I wish you could see the smile on my face, you know, but you just <laughs> gave me, just by going through that list of cast members that was so sweet. Thank you. Um, Mail, I'm, I'm, I'm at loss for words, you know, that, again, it had its struggles, uh, both in Pasadena and then getting it to New York was an absolute miracle that that happened. And I'm sure Michael Fraser is responsible for that. Uh, so, you know, it was it, it it was a project that came from our hearts, and um, y- y- you know, to the experiments that that we tried to do with tap shoes coming out from under staircases, and <laughs> and I, you know, the I just I tried stuff, and that they it, it kind of. It worked, you know, because they, they were adventures in all those other musicals that, that I had risked stuff in. I learned to do that. I was, I would take chances like that. And I, thank God I was working with people that allowed me to do it. Uh, I wasn't the director of the show. I was the choreographer. So it, I had to convince people that I could do this.
3: Um, I saw the show. I had completely forgotten that uh, Michelle Park was in it. <laughs>
2: Gosh, that's
4: amazing!
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: All right. You also have a credit as um, uh, the associate uh, director on uh, Jerome Robbins Broadway. So, how did that happen? Did he call you? Did you call him? Um, no. What was? How did you get the job? He,
4: he called me, and uh-huh. it was at a. At a very emotional time in my life, <clears throat> Anita had uh, was battling cancer at the time mm-hmm. and the family, my son was like five or six years old and Jerry on the phone, I said, I'm not sure I can do it because I've got so much to deal with here. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he said, well, look, um, you would be my insurance policy, you know, because I'm not really well myself. And if something happened to me, I would know that you could get the show done. And so I went back to Anita and I, I said, I don't think I can do do it. And she said, you've got to. You can't say no to a genius. This is something you can do and we can Badge and I will work with you on it. We will come to New York as much as we can. We will spend time with you, uh, whatever you need. And <clears throat> so I, you know, uh, I agreed to do it, and it was, it turned into a year and a half. Uh, I think the rehearsal period was something like eight or nine months long. Uh, yeah. it, 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 you know, in a cast of 55, 60 people, you know, so I, uh, I, I, it, it was, a, it was a doozy. It was a doozy, and um, one of, and he was, uh, Jerry was more anxious about that production than about anything because he knew it wasn't just one show on the line. His entire career was on the line, and he was the first to say it. And there was. I I remember a time when he turned to me and said, look, you gotta have a gimmick number. There's a 16 bar dance break in there, go stage it. And I thought, wait a minute, this is (laughs) Jerome Robbins is, is asking me to stage a dance break. And I thought something is wrong with that. So I said, look, I'll go in the other studio and I'll throw something together and then I'll come back and show it to you, and you tell me if it's okay, and then I'll stage it. So I went and I ran, put something together, ran back to the office, I showed him what I had, and I had, at the very end of the break, I did the step, dip, step, dip, the typical stuff, and at the very end, they'll wind up with the arm, head, hands behind the head, and the bump. He said, oh, it's all good, except that last part is way too vulgar. Don't do that, take that out. So I said, okay. So I went into the studio with Faith Prince, De- Debbie Shapiro, and Suzanne Fletcher, and I put it together. And as we're standing there, we, coming to the completion, we look over at the door, and it's open just a crack, and we see an eyeball watching us. And we start, <laughs> we, it was Jerry, and we start his laugh. Jerry, come on in. Let us show you what we did. And so we show him the break, and he said, look, it's fine, except at the very end, I want you to add this. And he does seat wrap around the arm and the hand behind the head and the bump. And I couldn't believe it that he added that back in. And that is, that's my takeaway, that I would never really understand what was in his head. Why he did that, but he did it.
2: Any fun memories of Frank Lesser? Given that you were in Greenwillow, oh, that sounds memory. like a yes. Yeah,
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I I had a number very near the end of the show, and that Joe Layton had staged, and it kept getting better and better. And it start one night at a preview in New York, it stopped the show and Tony Perkins made a mistake. He came out too early and uh, the mm-hmm. audience wouldn't stop applauding and he kind of backed off and went back off stage. And it was a little embarrassing for him. So <laughs> the, the next day was at matinee day and I'm coming into the theater to cross the stage in order to get to my dressing room. And I hear Frank Lesser out in the audience with Joe Layden, and they are fighting. They are, they are discussing the possibility of cutting Andrew's dance. And I back up against the wall. and oh, my God, uh, he's going to cut my, my number. And Joe Layden stood up. And he yelled, he says, if you cut that number, I am taking my name off this show. Oh. And Frank Lesser agreed and wouldn't take the num- cut the number. And so my butt was saved by Joe Layden. And uh, it, we, we fixed the, the ending. So we got past the embarrassing moment uh, at an hour's rehearsal and at work. Uh, I'm sorry, that's my takeaway of Frank Lesser. Uh, <laughs>
3: one one last question for me, Grover. You, you've you mentioned Badge a few times, your your son and Anita's son. He's been quite successful yes. in film and TV. But as far as I know, um, he's done no stage work. Uh, is, that, um, is it just that he's so busy doing film and TV? Do you know if he has no, any interest? He,
4: you know what? He actually has done a few things off-Broadway. Oh, okay. uh, a couple of plays. Uh, and he loves doing stage work. Uh, and right you know, right now, uh, I just talked to him last night, his new series called Hightown, which is going to start airing in May, uh, is produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. So uh, they're scrambling to try to figure out when and how to do that uh and the whole the whole tv movie industry is shut down so mm-hmm. badge is out he's out on Montauk renovating his his shack out there uh, <laughs> and, and surfing with his with his dog uh, surfing he's just, he he he's he, he's found his place where he gets together with nature. He goes out in the ocean, even in the coldest weather, and he <laughs> will surf just to be alone in the water and have the sky and the snow. And I, I admire that so much that he, <laughs> he, found, he found a way to deal with the business. Um, All right. Since you,
2: mentioned the, since you mentioned water, the ocean, that brings us to Sail Away. Now, when Sail Away was happening out of town, of course, there was an actress named Jean Fenn, who was actually, was she playing opposite you? No,
4: no, that was Patricia Hardy played opposite me. Okay, Jean fine. Jean was, was the romantic interest with James Hurst. And uh-huh. again, Joe, Joe Layton rose to the occasion. He said, look. What if we just transfer all of Gene Ten's material to Elaine Stretch? And Coward said, "Okay, let's do that." So Joe Layton took over and made that transition happen, and it it justified a five month run in New York. So there, there you go.
2: <laughs> uh, that's a very profound change and um such a big change rarely happens in musicals where a character is written out (laughs) and the other person gets all that material so uh at this point you've been a veteran of a couple of broadway shows a few did you think of this as wow what a great idea oh my god what are they doing i mean how can this happen
4: you know, I yeah, I like the way you describe that. Oh, my God, what if this happened? You know, the show business, the musical theater is filled with, oh, my God, moments. I you suppose know? it is, yeah. Yeah, after one after the other. <clears throat> but, you know, um, you just ride with it. <clears throat> you know, I used to be frightened because of my <clears throat> childhood my father deserted my mother when I was eight weeks old. And it was mm. wow that I grew up in a shack on a dirt road w- with a mother who all she, she just tried to find another husband and uh, she found one and he was an alcoholic. So mm. my my beginnings were so rough uh, and strained, but. The gift of it is that it prepared me for all those mm-hmm. oh my God moments in yeah. show business. I I could handle it. I wasn't afraid. I just kept going. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's not too bright, but that's <laughs> how I could handle it.
2: Um, in Half a Sixpence, there you were, of course, you 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 did have a role, but you also understudied Tommy Steele. Did you ever go on? Yeah, never. You did, never went on? I never went on, and there
4: uh-huh. was a time early on, I think, that he missed a, per, missed a performance, and someone else, the second understudy had to go on, because I didn't have an understudy for my role. I you see. You know, it was, you know, Oh, my God.
3: I have been doing some research on uh, the umbrellas of Cherbourg uh, with the thought of a possible concert version of it because, uh, as I'm sure you know, there is a, a musical, a stage musical of it with lyrics by Sheldon Harnick uh, that oh, ran briefly oh, oh. at the public many years ago. Uh, well, right, it hasn't been yes, hardly that. been. But anyway, that led me to the movie of uh, The Young Girls of Rochefort, <laughs> by the same creative team. And, and so I was yep, watching it yep. last night and there you are with George Chakiris and Catherine Deneuve and it's really quite, quite wonderful.
4: <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. It was, that was an amazing experience. You know, that, that summer <clears throat> to watch Catherine Deneuve <clears throat> and Francoise D'Orliac, mm. their relationship as sisters w- was so moving to me because I had never seen closeness like that within a family. Uh, and th- when F- Francois was, was lost, uh, and Catherine came out and said that she didn't want to talk about it, and we all respected that. But, you know, it was, it, it, in, in a way, it... <clears throat> It sent me into a whole new direction. I I had to do something about it, <clears throat> so I started to write. Instead mm-hmm. of going when I went to do the film of Half the Sixpence, instead of going to Tommy Steele's poker table between shots, I went back to my uh, my dressing room and I wrote. And uh, you know I I didn't know. What to write about, and but I just had to get my feelings out on paper, and I I said goodbye to poker, and but you know, and six weeks later I sent six pages to someone I knew at CBS, a producer, and he wrote me back and said, "Look, come to New York, and we'll we'll produce this on a Sunday morning show what you've written." So you know all all the crap paid off, mm. all this, all the strain. So, you know, here we are again in bigger and more strain. New York, I've never seen New York like this. You know, it's deserted, uh, of course. but, but we're, we're, we're gonna get through this. We're, something is gonna happen. Something good is gonna come of this if we, if we make use of what we've got to work with.
1: So, Grover, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. Really appreciate uh, everything that uh, – all the insight that you've given us this morning. Uh, uh, we had planned to have you on for 10 minutes, and uh-huh. here we are 45 minutes into it. But, uh, I know, for, I know. You're so generous with your time. Thank you so much.
3: Um,
4: well, thank you. I wish you the best. Please let me know – what you know, if there's anything that I can do to help you guys, you know, uh, with getting your material online, whatever, uh, I, I just know that I support you and what you're doing.
0: That's a touch and good story. Let me tell it to the world. Just tell it to the judge. Hey, the judge Come the on, judge.
1: Judge. Judge. Okay, so that wraps it up for this week. I want to ro- remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to your our podcast, you can listen to Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. Uh, as well as links to some of the things we talked about today. So uh, before we go, um, Matt Temanini talked with Oliver Roth, uh, who's a Broadway producer, and talked about uh, what the future of Broadway looks like right now in these uh, times from a producer standpoint, and also talked about the possibility that, um, as uh, you know, long-running shows like Phantom in Chicago might not return, which would be very interesting. Um, Peter, Michael, any thoughts about Phantom at Chicago? Well, we hear that Andrew Lloyd Webber says, no, no,
2: no, it's, it's going to happen. We're going to continue. Um, but anybody who follows sports knows that, um, managers in baseball who are doing terribly often get a vote of confidence from their owners saying, no, 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 he's in place. No, no, no. (laughs) no, Yeah. And then four days later, it's over. (laughs) So, you know, nobody knows what to think at this point in time. Nobody, nobody can make any promises for anything. So, uh, so uh, with so little to be sure of.
3: I did notice that uh, Michael Riedel about a week ago yeah. or, or so uh, wrote a f- first column on this, and where he specifically mentioned Phantom as a show that would probably be the first to go because it's so dependent on foreign tourists although yeah. many of them are but and then uh, but then just a day or two ago he said that phantom he's he com- did a complete turnaround without mentioning that he did and sure. said that, and said that uh, phantom <laughs> is is here to stay so uh, so to peter's point nobody really
2: knows people can nobody knows anything
3: they can yeah. write and they can spout off yep. and whatever. Right. And, uh, and going back to what you had said earlier um uh james you know i mean this is a a true true crisis and people uh you know we're not really equipped uh to to handle it and in terms of uh predicting the future and and, and even in terms of people having meetings and discussing things uh so yes uh individual things happen like virginia wolf uh closing and uh, and hangmen but then there are other things that might seem odd for example they've announced the league has announced that the jimmy awards have been canceled yeah, yeah. but there has been no announcement about the tonys and i suspect maybe that's because they they uh i mean they could come out, come out and say well there will be no tonys in june uh but maybe they're waiting to a little longer to see if they can get more information and decide when the tony's would be uh and maybe that's why they haven't said anything on that
2: well the theater world was with which i'm associated um right we we uh, postponed until september at least Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: yeah all right so more to be continued and peter michael and i will be back and talk with you next week so until that on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye 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 him a social damn Social worker, they say go earn some dough,
0: like be a soda jerker, which means like be a schmo. It's not I'm anti-social,
1: I'm only anti-work. Glory asky, that's why I'm a jerk. Hey, Officer Crookie, you've done it again. This boy don't need a job, he needs a year in the pen. It ain't just a question of misunderstood. Deep down inside him, he's no good! I'm no good! We're no good, we're no good, we're no earthly good Like the best of us is
0: no damn good The trouble is he's lazy The trouble is he drinks The trouble is he's crazy The trouble is he stinks The trouble is he's growing The trouble is he's grown crop we got troubles of our own Gee, Officer we